Hey, podcast friends, want to give you a heads up on what you're about to listen to. Um, recently interviewed by someone that I had coached, she leads an organization called Charge. Love what their mission is about, what they're doing on college campuses. Um, so awesome. You can check it out at charge, C-H-A-A-R-G.com. And uh, was interviewed by Elizabeth for her podcast and found it to be just such a a great interview with the questions she asked and so much of that moment felt really special that I asked her if I could share it here. So she's sharing it on the Charge podcast, but uh, you guys are also getting to listen to it here. So thanks for being here. I know I haven't updated the podcast much recently. We're doing content in other ways that we're delivering through the Academy at the siteshiftacademy.com. So you can check that out. And uh, at SightShift.com, you can reach out to us. we got some fun stuff happening. We're clarifying, we're focusing, and uh, really excited about what that means for where we're headed next. Hope you have a great one. Peace. Hey, guys, and welcome to the Charge Podcast. Today, I have Chris McAllister with me. He is the founder of SightShift, and he was my life and business coach for three years, which is crazy. It feels so good to be with you here today. Yes. Uh, Holy crap. I just had a Creed lyric pop in my head. Oh, gosh. It feels so good to reunite. (laughs) Don't know that song. Lame pullback from a weird era of rock music. (laughs) I want to start off by asking you four questions that you always used to ask me. Where are you winning, losing, stuck, and inspired? Oh, you are flipping it back. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, That's amazing. So we're going to go deep, personal, fast. Uh, Because I can't help but think about those categories in personal and in in business. But so winning right now, um, you know, really went through a change a couple years ago in my relationship with the kids where realized I'm not a, a, a parent of kids anymore. I'm a parent of teenagers. And Elizabeth, two nights ago, my 14-year-old daughter and I, she asked me questions for like an hour from 9.30 to 10.30. About what? Just like about life and thinking and and deep like spiritual questions. And I mean, everything you live for as a dad. So I feel like I lived with this vision that I would be there for them when they're ready. And and that's happening. That's really cool. Uh, Winning, I feel like with uh, my relationship with my wife, I had a date last night, awesome time with her. Um, and, uh, winning then with just the business in the sense that I have a passion to help leaders understand their journey and then they build a healthy community out of that. Right. And, uh, it's been a lot for me the last few years of the work that I do. And now we're in a place where it's the work that I'm helping others do as we have our certified coaches and kind of the model has changed. So that feels really fun. Losing, um, I'm in between, and anybody that's led through significant growth, which you understand this completely, you kind of gradually improve, and then you'll make a whole upgrade to a new level, right? New levels bring new devils. And I'm right in that place of going to just a completely different level. So how I structure my calendar, where I focus my time, how I build our organization. And that means when you're in that, you're, you're making room for new, and you're letting go of old. And that's a transition space. So the losing part of that would be, I feel like um, I'm ready for it right now. And yet uh, there's still some things. So so you're kind of like holding on to two, two rooms. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
and I know it's, this would have been stuff that we would have chatted about nobody uh, through all the phases that charge has gone through in the next levels. Um, and I think that the losing part of that would be most succinctly said, uh, I have, I've been home, but I've also worked hard and I am, I need to make more space for like getting away with my family in February because we're in Columbus, Ohio and I might travel, but I need to get them to the beach with me, you know, uh, that needs to change. We need right. to get to the next level. So that would be a losing. Like I need to do that now. I'm thinking through that while I'm saying it and I'm going to, I may have to make notes, uh, actions to take. Uh, stuck would be, oh, I've got a bunch of great people around me with our team that's shaping up. And as we go to the next level, resourcing them so that I can go, okay, how can I get them what they need to fly in their role so I don't lose them? Because high quality people if you're not growing you know they're they're gonna go where they can be most expressed most resourced and most expressed um anywhere else stuck personally right now you know i think raising three teenage daughters today uh you know we know that anxiety depression and you guys see this no doubt with what the work that you do that uh is skyrocketing right and so thinking through how to best be there for my daughters and their struggles, but not over be there and keep them from developing things they need to develop. Um, I don't have that. I've, I've, I know I've got to get more figured out there. Inspired. Oh my gosh. So uh, where we're at right now is developing something that's like the best front door we've ever had for Site Shift. So rather than people coming into the deep coaching, and then going from the deep coaching to helping build what their company needs for their leadership culture, having a first step to that. And I've been doing it, but I didn't have it named and organized. So we call it Site Shift Campfire. I'm inspired out of my mind about this, like, like the ideas and the iterations and just making this thing so that people could come hang out with us for two to four hours and leave with a plan on how to build a dynamic leadership culture in their team or their company so i'm sorry i could go on forever oh my, i didn't know that like, was happening yeah so we've been it's something i've been doing but i hadn't like actually put it together articulated it made it a thing and we're doing that now and uh it is for sure the most it, it, it's the best thing we've done to have a wide front door mm, yeah that makes me so happy i remember when you would tell me i just want to be an old man have people around a bonfire and just chat about self-growth Oh my gosh, I'm high-fiving you. And you're doing you. it right now. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, so that, and this is how it happened. Uh, I said, what do I see my life look like at 75? Mm -hmm. In character, in, in skills, in business. And I had kind of progressed on that the last few years. So it happened. So then I was like, okay, well, I need to redo 75, right? And that was a part of that. And I was like, well, what if I just go do that now? Like, why do I need to wait? Right. And I think sometimes we're afraid to really allow ourselves, which you and I have tracked on that, uh, Marianne Williamson, that we're afraid of the greatness in us. You mm -hmm. can help me make the quote better. Um, but we're afraid of the greatness in us. And if we really let that be unleashed and expressed and then go, okay, I'm going to go do that now. It's not like we're going to get to that and go, well, I've done it. I'm done. No, something else will be there. And not in an insecure, like, I always need something else, the next horizon to feel whole. It's the crazy, expansive, 
uh, quality that we have as, as humans. Like your heart is so huge for all the people you're caring for at charge. But as more come in, your heart can grow mm. more and more and more so that you can put your arms around the whole movement. And as the movement grows, you, your capacity to hug that movement keeps growing. Anyway, that's how I think about it. So, yeah. I have to admit, I was up until 1 a.m. last night because I have been so stuck on what I wanted to talk to you about because, oh, yeah. you guys, Chris is a wealth of knowledge. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to fit all this into the podcast? So I finally narrowed it down. We'll okay. see what we get I'm time up for, for. Wherever we go. <laughs> <laughs> but I really want to talk about coaching. So, of course, self-growth and mm-hmm. leadership. I really want to dive into identity fears. Yeah. And then lastly, focusing on how to really understand what our desires are and creating goals. Yeah. And then if we have time, I want to get into the stock book a little bit. Awesome. So let's see where this conversation goes. Let's begin with the story behind Sight Shift. Yeah. Uh, came out of deep pain. So I was in a place where we had uh, gone from seven figures to six figures of debt. Uh, and an organization I was leading in wasn't turning around. So two just huge failures. We had gone from second custom-built home, dream home, at 28, 29 years old. This is the home I could send my kids to college to. Um, And fast forward a year later, can't buy a home, renting, get an eviction notice. Uh, My wife sold her engagement ring so the kids could have Christmas. I mean, it was complete, like... The analogy I would give, it's like crawling through a valley. This is so intense. And it's like you're getting bloodied elbows. You're just trying to survive day to day. And we get that eviction notice. And Elizabeth, I just felt like I went in myself to try to grab a hold of a core or or be able to find where the bottom felt like I, I could hit this bottom. Instead, it just felt like I kept tumbling. There was There was no place to grab a hold of. So I'm holding this eviction notice in my hand and I think, okay, do I get to feel better about myself as a person if we stay? If I can keep us in this house and keep my family like feeling stable? Do I feel worse about myself if we've got to go? And I don't even know where we're going to go, right? And I have no like, uh, no capital to draw on to make something happen. And my brain, it was like brain my brain got hit by lightning, you know, as a metaphor. And it split into these two realities of there's who I am, identity, and there's what I do. And there's the roles I fulfill and the relationships, my performance. And those had never separated for me before. And so that moment was huge because then I was like, oh, these are two different things. Like, you know, for, for people listening to this, you know, there's how they're doing in school, right? But then there's who they are as a person. Well, if you don't know how to separate those and then you're failing a class, then you go, okay, I'm failing a class. I'm a failure. So you're, you're translating a message from your circumstance into your identity. And once those separated from me, my, my heart and mind just went towards, I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure like out for myself how to live from this place continually so that I don't ride what's happening in the circumstances. And so the birthplace was there and my heart and mind just gravitated around that and obsessively researched, um, worked with myself and then started working with people and noticing patterns and 
everything came from that. Mm -hmm. Were you reading self-growth books prior to that realization? Yeah, so I had pretty passionately since about 18 or 19, and that was about at age 30. So for 12 years, read uh, a lot of leadership, self-help, growth stuff, um, like many, many books, just devouring. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, but nothing ever, things could teach you how to perform, but nothing was ever upgrading my mindset to what, what I can articulate now, the chip on your shoulder goes away. So everyone has this like chip on their shoulder and that chip on their shoulder either causes them to show up in a way that's proving, I'm going to show them I can do this or hiding that chip on their shoulder. So it defeats them. They just pull back, right? And they're too withdrawn. So they're showing up too much or too little, not just right, you know, who they are. And so for me, a lot of the self-help stuff was stirring up this approach that was the proving chip on my shoulder. I will show them I can do this. You'd read the book, you get fired up a lot of hype. <laughs> but what I know now in this articulation is a chip on your shoulder can get you to world class. You will not keep and sustain world class with that chip on your shoulder because you're degrading within you're not learning how to renew within so we work you know with athletes and uh, we'll teach this to to people um, I was just saying this to a basketball team a few weeks ago uh, if I ran a sports betting company and my kids eating depended on placing a good bet that's how I put skin in the game for me um, I would videotape the key player of that team like before the game and whoever is the loosest is where I'm going to place the bet because they're showing up to play, to have fun. It's the overflow. They're already at mastery level. I mean, these are right. semi-professional, professional athletes. Who's the one that is rigid and who's the one that's ready to be in a flow? Um, the Super Bowl, they were showing the quarterbacks before. And I forget, this is how lame I am. And we have an athletic division, so I shouldn't say this out loud, but I can't even remember who was playing other than the Patriots. But the other quarterback was staring at his plays in the locker room. Well, you either know him or you don't right, at that point. Right. So he's not going to be in optimal flow state. And and so that chip on the shoulder had to go away, and I didn't even know that. So reading lots of books. I'll try mm -hmm. to give shorter answers. That was a <laughs> No, I love it. Answer. I love it. What programs, books, mentors inspired you when creating SightShift? Um, so many. So many because I had already invested so much in myself um, and I had already dove into so much. The best way to say it would be it was nothing current because that was already there. Uh, principles from like the talent code, which is how to better understand the 10,000 hours rule. So 10,000 hours, you can practice the wrong thing for 10,000 hours and get good at it. You know, if I said I want to be great at basketball and I practice a granny shot, well, that sucks because I'm not going to be able to use that in the D league of my local rec league <laughs> basketball, because that's the only place I'd be playing, but uh, really looking at ancient stuff. So right now, if you look at like the top five sociological studies that were most popular that generated a lot of self-help business and leadership books, like the marshmallow test, uh, the marshmallow test was the one where they gave the kids the marshmallow and if they could not get it or if they could not eat it, they would get more later. Um, and then they did that study and they said, okay, success comes when you can restrain from now for the bigger payoff later. Well, they, they've debunked that study now. 
Really? Yeah, because they found every kid that chose to wait came from an affluent home and they knew there'd be more marshmallows later. Interesting. So the Stanford prison experiment, that's been debunked. The guy falsified the process. Um, so you see these sociological studies that have generated a lot of business leadership self-help books being debunked. And it's because we've tricked ourselves the last tricked ourselves the last 40 or 50 years that we can just say society is headed here and it's going to go there. No, we are getting better and we need to keep getting better, but we also need to look at how we've acted over thousands of years. So what I was doing at the time was looking at things like how the Greeks were thinking about identity, uh, what it was look like, what it looked like for identity to develop in Western and Eastern religion. Right? Just going back as far as I could and looking at these arcs and going, what are the patterns of how people changed? And so as I started to put all this together, it was a lot more with people and with very ancient stuff. And then going, okay, how can I build practices that are honest about who we are as humans, but get us to our best self? Hmm. Who are leaders right now that you really resonate with? Hmm. Leaders that I really resonate with right now. Um, this could be controversial, so we'll see. Uh, but there's a concept that's come about called the intellectual dark web. Have you heard of that? Mm -mm. The IDW. So this is, uh, these are people who have the financial means to speak their mind. And they are not on the extreme left or the extreme right uh, from a political standpoint in our country. And they're just comfortable saying what needs to be said. Probably the most popular version of this would be uh, Joe Rogan mm. or Jordan Peterson. I'm not saying I track with everything they're saying, but at least I am going, okay, here's a place where they can say out loud things that are free of reaction. Because the, the thing that we have happening right now that's so huge, because even when you talk about the term identity, most people think about identity in terms of specific markers. Uh, and I think about the poet Maya Angelou, Maya Angelou, I never know how to say her name. I need to ask her, but I can't, that's a terrible joke. Uh, but so she said, I'm black, I'm Samoan, I'm a woman, I'm American. I'm all of these, but none of these are all of me. So she knew she had an identity right. bigger than all that. So most times I would use the term identity right now, people think in terms of, their sexuality, their nation, you know, all of these. And what we've got now is a lot of people that are fighting on the, both the left and the right on how to engineer the world's best, big, perfect society. And this is how you do it. And the reality is we don't know. We don't know. So that's my vision to build all these micro communities. But those voices in that middle space that are neither, some are conservative, some are liberal, but they're not afraid to be honest about what they think are probably where I'm finding the most intellectual refreshment right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm sure you know Marianne Williamson is running for president. I did not know you that. You didn't? No, that's amazing. Yeah, I'll have to send you an article that was just in the Washington Post, and I'll link it up in the show notes too. It's pretty incredible. That would be amazing. Like, I know. I was trying to imagine <laughs> what it would look like for her to even do like a press uh Oh my gosh, that's so profound. That's the exciting moment I think mm -hmm. that's happening right now. People are going, I can do that. People are waking up. Yeah, yeah. I do believe that. It's awesome. 
I want to understand what the difference is between coaches, therapists, and counselors, and mm-hmm. also who should seek what. Oh, I love it. Um, so I would put counseling and therapy together. Okay. Um, well, it's kind of like a middle spot. So let's say like one to 10, 10 being very healthy, one being very unhealthy. So the way that we work with people is when we help them figure out what their identity fear is, for them to perform at the highest level, what's it look like to get to that 10? Now, most of the people we work with are already at a seven to a nine. So we're helping them get to that healthiest self-expression of who they are, but especially under stress. Because under stress, you're gonna drop from a nine to a seven to a six to a five. So, you know, nine to a seven, I'm walking in the house, I'm pretty aware, doesn't matter really what's happening to me, uh, but I'm able to take the temperature of the room, the relationships, where's the moment at, where does it need to go? Same thing in a team meeting, whatever. Now, put me in a stressed situation. Let's say we had a giant deal close or, or fall through and I'm going into the team meeting. I need to know now I'm a five or a six. Uh, it goes back to what we covered in the recovery movement, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. If you're any of those, you're dropping from that nine to seven range to that five to six range. Well, um, you know, this past uh, weekend, Friday, I taught like 90 people our content for the day. Well, I know hungry, angry, lonely, tired, that next day I'm gonna have a teaching hangover, mm-hmm. right? And I'm, I went to the gym Saturday morning early, but I'm, I'm slowly shuffling in my slippers around the house Saturday. It was <laughs> pathetic. My wife was like, you are not yourself. <laughs> I sit down by the fire and I go, there's some work I should do, but I'm just gonna sit and rest for a bit. Well, that's stupid. I usually don't work on stuff on Saturdays. You know, my mind is always going, but not actively like in it. Um, why do I need to f- say that out loud? Because I'm being insecure and need to prove. My wife doesn't care. Right? I'm doing that because I'm not at nine to seven. I'm tiredness, I'm at five to six. And then one of my kids is like, can you take me? And I'm like, oh, I don't want to take anybody anywhere. <laughs> so, so what coaching does is help you get to that nine to seven from that five to six and stay at it even when you're stressed and even get to that 10. Um, what counseling does is help you get from that two to three to that four to five. So you can think about like coaching, training, mentoring like that is moving you from functioning to thriving or amplifying already thriving. Counseling is getting you to functioning. Um, And in the middle space of that, because there is a little bit of a handoff there with therapy, so I'll coach people that are in therapy. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. I'll coach people that are seeing a counselor, but really it's not like counseling for them to just barely function or function. It's counseling that's just helping them get a space to process their thinking, right? So I have a guy right now that literally I just get on the phone with him and pay him so that I can flow state like mind dump my ideas and thinking and I bring this tornado and he just conversationally spars back with me so that I'm leaving the chat like, oh, I really want to go here. I want to go do this. I want to develop this. Um, And that's kind of that middle space of therapy. And there's a lot of different things you can do with that. Um, So 
you know, you have Gestalt therapy, Freudian, Jungian, I mean, all those kind of different approaches. Mm -hmm. And some of those drop down and are helping in a counseling way, but that's how I see it. Okay, so right now you are going through therapy rather than coaching. Yeah, so I would say it's like a conversational therapy with this guy where he's, it's hard for me to find people that are, this isn't, I don't mean it's an arrogant way, but at least in the fields that I'm interested in, are more conversant or aware. And, uh, and, you know, and the easiest way to describe it would be, I need therapy right now for how to be more honest and think more like the millennial I am. Because I'm Gen X, so I'm in the middle. And what, I, what I'm building helps boomers, but they're not going to love it as much as a millennial loves it. You know, we've got boomers that love it, but you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm in the middle, I can see both worlds so clear. But I want to really flesh out what's happening in me and where I'm changing that I think is actually causing me to think and act in, in, in a healthy way. You know, what a millennial would, how a millennial would think and act. Mm-hmm. Because the people we work with, I, I there's no millennial that I work with and I don't like these generational terms, but it helps. <laughs> yeah. That is the stereotypical negative, right? Mm. It's, I, they're amazing. Right. And so I want to learn more how to how I'm already thinking like them, but maybe I just don't naturally do it, right? That's cool. It's like my kids can take an amazing picture on their phones. We were talking about that. <laughs> yeah. I can't. Right? It's right? in their blood. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm imagining you and David talking right now. Mm-hmm. Totally. He's amazing. He's definitely a person that I can hop on the phone with and be like, no stone is unturned. I can say any weird thought. Right. And he can jam with me. Yeah. I see a lot of coaches right now who are my age, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, what certifications we should look for if we want to work with a coach. Obviously, you had studied for 12 years before even building your program. So what... Thoughts you have on that? Yeah. Well, and studied for 12 years and then spent five or six years building our core program and then concurrent with that overlapping about five years building our certification program. So to do something right and well is is not easy. Um, Yeah, I mean, coaching is huge right now and it's going to be huge for a long time. Mm -hmm. Because even though like we were talking about the conversational sparring I do, you know, there's a person that I just did some coaching with Wednesday on our business model. Uh, she was awesome. Like, she helped me close uh, my mind into an action I need to take that I wasn't seeing. Well, what made her valuable is that she has 10,000 hours, right, to use that. And I, I've, I feel like I've got to say this. The talent code debunked 10,000 hours. You need three things. Uh, deep practice, you need world-class coaching, and you need um, ignition. There's got to be a fire and a motivation that's solid. When you bring those three together and you get your 10,000 hours in something, you are worth so much uh, in, in helping people. Well, this lady's got that in the kind of business I'm building. And so she helped me um, really see where I need to go next. I had a coaching session with a lady a year ago who um, helped me see a mistake I was making, right? Because her specialty is what I'm doing. And so 
I'm always looking to grow and get that edge and uh, find what those places are. Um, but it's everything I'm saying. They have to have done what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So a, a 25-year-old could be a killer coach, could be a killer trainer, uh, could put out a course that's very helpful to people if it's something that they have done a deep dive into and and know forward and backward. You can learn, if you're a beginner, from somebody who's intermediate, um, but even that 25-year-old could be advanced if they got enough time, effort, and energy in it. Um, and and then that's for sure somebody I want to learn from. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it depends on what you want to do, though. And so the idea that uh, I've seen people selling things that I'm like, wow, that's awesome. It's very specific. Clearly, they've got that domain down. And then other people that, you know, they're forcing that. So with the certification, you know, it's like, there's so many great things out there. Uh, I only want to get, me personally, the way I think about certification is it has to be a skill that I want to build and then I want to know whatever that certification is that that transfer of skill is guaranteed. I don't want to use a ton of sales terms, but it's like if they're not willing to say, we'll give you your money back, um, that to me would and I mean, I, I bought a copywriting course a couple years ago that uh, paid way too much for, delivered, didn't deliver at all. Um, and their money back guarantee was like 60 days and it was a year long thing. And I was like, you know what? I would never buy from them again. Uh, I think about that with our online courses. I want them to be, we changed how we do it now so it's a single course purchase. I want it to be so cheap that it's just like a dumb no-brainer. I don't want that to be how we're, you know, trying to make as much money as we can. Right. right? And I think that's where the industry is going to change over the next few years. I think all those prices where they do that stuff and it's like $1,500 for a course, I think all that's going to be changing and it's going to go way cheaper. So for people that are looking at those things, you're just looking for the skills you want to build, especially when you're in your 20s. Like when I was in my 20s, and I'm so glad sitting now at 41, looking back, I didn't focus on anything as much as I did. What are the skills I want to learn? Mm-hmm. I want to learn how to stand up and tell a story and move a room. I want to learn how to read a meeting. I want to learn how to figure out where a team is. You know, these are my weird things, but yeah, <laughs> skills. This is a good transition into sharing what courses you put on. Yeah, so we have, uh, our academy now has figured that shift out which is like our core deep dive, how to figure out your identity. We have figure that mindset out, which is like a simple little course that takes you through a process of, I share how I've worked to upgrade my mindset and then give you a template so you can work to upgrade yours. We have figure that relationship out, which applies all of our work to any kind of relational context. Um, Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And there's like a, so I gotta tell this story and this is so weird and funny and awkward, but I'll do it. I was launching uh, our academy to a company. They had bought all the courses for their team and I was running through the courses. And I was like, and so we have a relationship video or, or course. There's a 22 minute sex video there. And uh, this guy yells from the crowd, you're pretty pale. Do I need to wear sunglasses when I watch that? Oh, <laughs> it was amazing. Oh Columbus, Ohio representing, right? 
the, the pale winter season here. Um, so, but no, walking through identity fear and how that affects the sexuality of relationships. So we don't, I mean, we, let's really help people. Um, we've got our certification course that people can learn how to teach our deepest content to other people. Um, and there, oh, we have Figure That Workout, which is how to manage yourself and others effectively. We have Figure That Leadership Out, which will take you to that place where you've got the necessary leadership skills to be at your absolute best. And we're working on two others right now called Figure That Parenting Out, um, which I'm super excited about that, and Figure That Game Out, which is kind of like Figure That Leadership Out Part 2. Because I think right now, what's happening is we need to learn how to look at life and leadership like an infinite game not a not a uh, plus minus game it's not about how i can get what's mine it's about how we make the pie bigger and it's applying that to leadership uh kind of like a figure that leadership out 2.0 so that's what's happening do you still recommend that people start with figure that shift out yeah if they want to do a deep dive and understand how they are there's a movie playing in their head and they need to figure out that movie because if they don't figure out that movie, uh, they think everybody else has the same movie in their head. Um, so an example of this would be this guy that I'm working with, his, he's cooking dinner, his wife or girlfriend comes back and she's been walking the dog. The dog isn't losing weight and it's dangerously gaining weight and they're taking it to the vet, they can't figure it out, they're restricting its feeding, taking it on long walks. And, um, so she comes in the door and she's like, I'm trying to think if they'll listen to this podcast when I tell the story. Uh, she comes in and she's like, I can't take care of this dog by myself. And he's standing at the kitchen fixing dinner. He's like, I'm fixing dinner. Like, what do you, you know? So here's the key. There's a movie playing in her head. There's a movie playing in his head. The movie playing in his head. He's just taking a skip in the park, Right. She's coming in and there's like the movie playing in her head. There's somebody walking through the kitchen with a knife <laughs> threatening her safety for her. The movie playing in her head is what's wrong with me. Why can't I take care of this dog? And just knowing stages of life, if I can't take care of this dog, can I take care of a child? He's like, you know, my wife is upset with me. I'm not performing well, you know, knowing identity fears is huge. And so, yeah, figure out the movie playing in your head and you're not even consciously know that it's there because once you do you will not prove or hide you'll show up authentic and that's the goal that's where you're most effective i know you've worked with quite a few people right out of college myself included what are some common challenges that you see within that age group let's say 25 to 28 and how have you helped them grow yeah one is um they haven't yet sometimes they have but more often than not, they haven't yet deeply touched their brokenness. They still feel pretty invincible. And I know because I was, mm -hmm. you know, back then when I would do a business deal and it was like, there's a 2% chance this will work. How could I not do it? And now I'm like, that can ruin you, you know? <laughs> uh, and so, so what they've got to do is get out in front and, and we do this. We help them imagine, like, what, what if, if you want to have kids someday, what if your kids said to you, I don't want to be like you and I don't want to be with you, right? Let's reverse engineer that. 
what would it look like for you to invest years, decades into a relationship of a committed partner and then them go, I don't want to do this anymore uh, or, or to not accomplish the business success that you want to. So the, the false notion that you have to experience the brokenness or you have nothing to learn or offer is broken, stupid, wrong idea. You just have to be able to get your mind around it. And so we do exercises to help that happen. So one, we've got to help them touch their uh, brokenness. Another way to say it, just help them know that they're not invincible. They're not, none of us are. Um, and that's just so huge. The second one is you don't have to gain years of experience to learn templates and models that it's like you've you know got that experience most people have decades of experience but it's really years on repeat and it's a diminishing return and it doesn't matter um we're talking about the average person that's not growing and iterating and evolving like crazy so the people we tend to work with want to grow and evolve so it's uh you know charlie munger warren buffett's right hand person did a usc graduation speech years ago and he was like hey if you want to be great at business learn these like seven models right different financial models that kind of thing what we're saying is if you want to be great at business life and leadership learn these models so getting them past their invincibility and the second is learn some some solutions a tool belt that you can bring to your life that it's like you've got years and years and years of experience so a simple one is the four phases of a team Everyone listening to this is at some point going to be on a team, most likely even lead a team. Well, learn the phases a team goes through. You don't have to have led 72, 72 different teams to learn this. Learn this, step in, and you're way ahead. So mm. models and getting past the hype. Do you think pain or pleasure is a greater motivator for lasting change? For most people, pain. Why? Pain is the only thing that really wakes you up. Um, we do occasionally work with people that are in extreme success and going, this is not enough. I want more. We work with a lot of people that are in extreme success and go, I don't really know, but I feel like I should improve myself. Um, and, and we can help both of them. But the people that are the hungriest, more often than not, and there's exceptions to those first two groups, and I can think of people that have become my friends in those first two groups, more often than not though, it is the pain that you're like, I gotta fix this. Mm -hmm. I gotta you know what's going on. I did not wake up in success. I wish I would have. I mean, I'm sitting on a deck of our second custom built house. My kids are playing on a, a water slide. It was amazing. And I'm just like, I thought this would feel better. and didn't even go down the site shift rabbit hole or make it until a year and a half later when I had to because mm -hmm. the pain. Um, so for most people, it's going to be the pain. But if there are people listening to this that are like, I want to figure out how to show up, not have something to prove, be at my best version of who I can be before I hit all that. Awesome. It can be done. I guess I really want to try and figure out exactly what you said, how that can be done without fully hitting that brokenness, because you did mention, which I totally agree with, at the age of 25 to 28, you probably haven't hit that brokenness. Maybe you have, but most likely you haven't. So how can we 
be motivated to change, to grow by feeling that pain, but not necessarily experiencing it. Yeah. Two, two ways. One, go back to the past. So anybody that's that 25 to 28 range can go back to the three most painful moments that most have had. And I know this from literally like our intake process, reading uh, hundreds of stories of people that, that you know we've worked with. One is the first time they experienced the death of a loved one. The second one is if their parents got divorced. And the third is the pain of something in middle school, junior high or senior high where they felt whatever their identity fear is, right? They didn't belong, they weren't enough, you know, whatever that is. If they can go back to that moment, and even though maybe that pain hasn't touched them for a while, there's something there. In fact, the way, the way we would do it is we just say, take, it's like if you could take your brain out of your head and say to your brain, what are your top five hurts? Brain, what do you remember that hurt you? Big things, active violations of who you are, a hundred times what you needed was passively neglected, and maybe just a small stupid thing that you think about. Your brain goes back to that time, you know, uh, that somebody made fun of you for something little that just stuck with you. And then the flip side, and this is what I was saying a minute ago, let's imagine a bad thing happening in your future. Now, this is where the self-help can be hype and not helpful because people go, oh, I don't want to imagine that it could happen. Well, here's the problem with that. Samurai warriors, when they would go to battle, they would picture their death. Not so they would die. They're not going to picture their death and go to die. They would picture their death so they would not be afraid of it so they could come home and be with their families. They wanted to position themselves, in my language, to be in a flow state in battle. So not only are you going backward, you're going forward and going, you know, what if I would dedicate my life to something that would fall apart, you know, and and we're living in the moment, we're having fun, and that's great. We need to do that. We need to be very engaged in the present, have a blast. But turning up that future focus and saying, what do I want out there? And if it were to slip through my fingers, how would I feel? So that's how we can tap into that. So you write down your top five most painful experiences in your life thus far, then what? Yeah, so write down the top five, the big and the small, could be the passive neglect, the thing that bothers you, and look for a theme. If you were to write, you know, if you were to write a story out of this, so if somebody like shared those with me, and I'm going to help them, uh, I'm going to be a biographer of their story. I'm not going to force it, but I'm going to say, okay, what are your favorite books and movies and, and music? Because they're going to have a theme too related to the theme of your hurts, and let's look for that. And the other question I'd probably ask them too is, what part are they embarrassed by? You know, if they picture themselves as, a, as this person with lots of parts, you know, Brene Brown talks about welcoming back the exiled part. If, if I say to that person, what part of you are you most embarrassed by? If you gave that part a name, what would you call it? Okay, now if you tried to understand what strength does that part offer you? Because it does. You can't let it run your life because it has immaturities that will ruin your life but it has strength it offers. So I'm gonna take those five hurts, I'm gonna take those books, movies, music, and I'm gonna take that part they're embarrassed by, and we're gonna build a story out of that. Because what they wanna do is start writing a new ending and looking at, I don't need to willingly play into a narrative that isn't true. 
and that's the movie playing in their head. Mm. And and if that were easy one, two, three, the world would be changed overnight. Right. It's introspection, it's work, it's thinking, it's doing that for three minutes and resisting the urge to pick up your phone and check Instagram because that's hard work and I'm tired and I wanna, <laughs> you know, change gears. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming that most of the time those themes relate to their identity fears. Absolutely. Let's dive into what those are. Yeah. So the way that we work with people is helping them get into like a core fear. And people are like, well, does everybody have a core fear? We found, yes. It's like an onion, there's a bulb, there's a center point. And sometimes it's hard to really understand it because you might feel one of the other fears more because it's a fruit and your brain is defending you from feeling the worst pain, which is the root. But the fears. Um, that if I'm not needed, I'm not loved. So yesterday I was in a chat with a guy, one of the smartest people I've ever worked with, super intellectually brilliant. I was a little nervous, like, do I know enough to coach him, right? About all the stuff he knows. Um, he's got a high position in his company and when he got insight on his fear, he was like, that's the center point. I just knew it and for him, that right so for whoever it is when your fear is that if you're not uh, needed you're not loved you are creating a world that needs you so you can feel loved and this isn't just woo woo like and, and I know you and I can go deep into woo woo and love it and embrace <laughs> it but some people are afraid of it this isn't just woo woo this is like your brain has a narrative it's forcing and and you're building a situation you know you can't lead your life well if you have to be needed you're not going to live from your authentic desire. Do what you need to do or build environments that don't need you so you can advance. And what if you built every part of charge around needing you, right? Then so many girls on campuses would not get to experience what they're experiencing. It'd be limited. So if I'm not loved, I'm not needed. Second one would be uh, that I'm not going to be taken care of. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be abandoned. This fear is really afraid to like sit with themselves. They've always got to have plans. Because if they're alone, that pain catches up. That, that quiet is terrifying to them. And so they have a hard time accessing just the joy of solitude. Um, the fear of belonging. If the core fear is belonging, you always have to feel like you get your sense of identity from the group you belong to. So this is the person who always has to post pictures of themselves with other people, who's afraid to show up to a party alone. No kidding, walking into a party in college or I was walking out, one of my buddies was walking in, and I didn't have identity awareness then or know the fears, but I, he was like, dude, walk in with me. I was like, man, I gotta go. He was like, I'll pay you. Oh my gosh. Straight up, I forgot that story till we're just now talking. Straight up offered me cash to walk in with him. I honestly don't remember what I did. I hope I took the money, but maybe that's a bad character thing, I don't know. So anyway, fear of belonging, you're just like, there's, you're, you're always gonna avoid conflict because if I, turn the stones of conflict over, I'm gonna rock this boat and I'm gonna get rocked out of it and I'm not gonna have a place I belong. Uh, I don't have what it takes. Pacing wise, is this okay? Cause I can do shorter no, versions. No, it's perfect. I can do like three minute versions of these. I like the examples. Versions. Okay, yeah, perfect. Uh, so yeah, I, and even as it's coming out, I'm like, I gotta put this on our website and share <laughs> these spirits. But so I don't have what it takes. Uh, this idea that um, they're gonna figure out I'm an imposter. So the imposter syndrome, like there are plenty of people who feel that, but there are plenty of people who don't. 
Not everybody feels that. Um, and any of the performance type fears feel it, but this one feels it the strongest. So this fear, the way it shows up is I have to be the one in the room that has mastered this. So nobody will look at me and go, you don't know what you're doing. Um, a couple years ago, there was a, I don't know how much I can talk about this on a podcast. So a giant company building a giant theme park, um, and they were over budget and their team leader had gone through site shifts. So he brought me in to work with the engineers. And these were like world-class people had done like the coolest rides. Well, a room of engineers like that, I know walking in, most of the core fear in that room is I don't have what it takes. They've dedicated themselves to specific mastery of a domain so no one can ever go, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, they can show up and be world-class and then go home and still not know how to talk to their teenage daughter because they get so good in one area, they're afraid to try new things. Um, and so that fear is always trying to get the angle of not being exposed. Um, next fear would be that uh, I'm bad or defective. In other words, I get opportunities, but I blow them up. I always self-sabotage, I ruin things. Uh, I was leading an event this past week with a team and uh, it was powerful. She just overwhelmed with emotion, like that's me. And I'm, I'm always at this place where if I get that moment, I'm gonna ruin it. Oftentimes that fear comes out of uh, abusive situations. Like, so site shift isn't counseling. We tell people we're not counseling, get counseled if you need to. Uh, but you know, when these things come up, they're able to connect the dots because they had something bad happen to them. And the only way their brain made sense of it was, it wasn't that my uh, uncle is a terrible, dirty human, that I did something wrong. Right? Again, the brain forces this narrative and because um, it's hard to think about your uncle that way. So then you go, well, I'm bad. This is my fault. So people that have been through abuse go, it's my fault. It's not your fault. Um, the next one I would walk through would be my performance equals my worth. So if I perform awesome, then I can feel good about who I am. I'm worthy, which is mine. Right? So I want to get that reaction from people this was life-changing, this was amazing, this was the best thing ever. I wanna be the best podcast you've ever had, yes, right, whatever. And and when, when the insecure Chris is in that space, I am building who I am around what I do that way, uh, I'm, I'm, there's never enough. When secure Chris is here, I get to show up to this podcast, whatever it's supposed to be, it'll be. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be prepared, I'm gonna have a blast, I gotta release the rest. I'm not here to get I'm here to give. That's a completely different showing up. You know, that's a different exchange. And and I think about that all the time. And, and you know, this fear has a hard time being kind to themselves because uh, they're always like, it could have been better, could have been better. I was on a podcast yesterday and I was talking to a buddy and I was like, I would give myself an A, not an A plus, here's why. <laughs> you know, this is crazy evaluation. This fear wakes up and they're always negative on the scoreboard and they gotta just try hard to break even. And that's so exhausting. Um, another fear would be if I'm vulnerable, I'll be hurt. So this fear maintains a tough exterior and will flash up with strength to like push people away, even create false conflict. Uh, they're, they're just very afraid that, um, that somebody's gonna get some kind of power or authority over them and they're gonna be ruined from it. 
and they have a hard time knowing within themselves gentleness and knowing how to, they need to have, still have healthy boundaries. Their boundaries are just over-defended. How to show up in ways that they can give little bits of power here and there. Um, another fear would be uh, that I'm not unique. I have no sense of real home in the world. So the way this fear will show up is always trying to get their surroundings, their the aesthetic of what's around them to remind them of how unique and special they are. Uh, and they have a hard time within themselves really marshalling their creative energy into a focus because, well, somebody else could do it better or I can't do it at the level that fully expresses my uniqueness. Um, and so that's happening on them. And so I'm doing this off the top of my head. I'm just thinking through them real quick. Uh, one of the fears, and this may be the last one, I may be forgetting one, is uh, the worst is going to happen. So if people listening to this tend to struggle with like a brain chemistry anxiety, so there's a difference between circumstantial anxiety and uh, chemistry anxiety. Circumstantial anxiety, everybody gets. And then it's eustress or de-stress. Am I organizing that anxiety in my mind to activate me or am I letting that shut me down and cause me to lose the edge of my brilliance? However, there's brain chemistry anxiety and we can't confuse these uh, so that there's a natural predisposition to you know, not produce a serotonin level that allows you to be as resilient as you can be. Uh, and there's so much ground being taken with medicine. And so if, if, you know, if medicine helps you take it, right? Uh, whatever needs to be done. But people that have this fear tend to be in a space that they have the brain chemistry anxiety. And they're they're looking at things going, well, what's the worst that could happen? And then they're afraid of that. You know, it's so funny how my wife and I were talking this morning in between meetings and we're talking about some stuff with our kids. And I'm like, there's, a, there's some things developing for them socially that I'm happy for them and I want to encourage. So I'm like, perform, maximize, right? I'm like, well, Friday night, we should just tell them they could have the house, let them throw a little party. We'll go, have a date, we'll come back home. You know, I'm wanting to maximize, right? Before we get off the phone, she's like, hey, hepatitis A is going around Columbus. You know, <laughs> be careful. So it's the safety filter. The movie playing in her head is we're not safe. And, and so we're, what we're all doing is just trying to get understanding of that movie playing in her head. I'm possibly forgetting a fear, but... That's, if for some reason you are, we'll link it up in the show notes. Right on, right on. <laughs> Once you know your fear, what are two ways that you can utilize working with your fear? It's awesome. You, because I, I get to do this a lot, talk about it a lot, get get interviewed about it. You ask such practical street takeaway mm. questions. What a gift. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love it. Um, so you get the fear, you get the awareness of it. Two things you can do. One is this. Keep a catalog of every time you're trying to prove to the world you don't have that fear or you're hiding because that fear is there just start writing those down think about it like building an invisible antenna on the side of your head you're going to notice it you know the people on my instagram feed that brag the most about their business are the people that are reaching out for help the people on my instagram feed that brag the most about their marriage are the people that are reaching out for because you're trying to prove to the world, right? You can scroll through Instagram and figure out what people are trying to prove. Uh, it's pretty wild. We all see it for each other. We don't see it for ourselves. Mm, that's good. I mean, I, I, I will lead meetings with people where I'm interacting with just the one person and they're sharing their fear out loud and what they do to prove or hide. 
everybody in the room is nodding. Like, oh yeah, they totally do that, right? And they don't even realize they're nodding. It just happens. And so it's so easy to see other people's in the mirror. It's hard to see our own. See your own, you free yourself. So the first thing would be that. The second thing that's really dynamic and powerful would be, and it's, you know, I'm going to quote Seattle Seahawks mindset coach. He said, uh, this was in a podcast, I think with Tim Ferriss, um, we have to help football players learn. If we're going to help them be awesome, learn who they are apart from being a football player. We have to help them learn about their real identity. Amazing. I'm like, yes. And he said, the best way to do that is to help them visualize visualization where they are more than a football player. And then he said, but that's really hard and takes a long time. And I was like, no, you can do it in minutes. And so the second thing would be for people listening to this, you mean just lead them through it right now? Please. Let's do it. So for people listening to this, it would be to visualize that secure identity. So for people listening, I just invite them to do this. Do it. All right. Uh, They can close their eyes. Just take a deep belly breath. Holding for a second, then releasing. Taking another deep belly breath. Releasing. Now, whether it's first or third person going somewhere in their mind's eye that is a place that they feel safe, peaceful, loved, somewhere they've been before, somewhere they'd like to go, real or imaginary, And notice a detail that you see in that space. Like you're looking around in wonder and awe. Like you could turn up the brightness of your phone screen. Not that it hurts your eyes, but that this place is very vivid. And then feel something in this space. Grab a texture. Touch it. What's the atmosphere feel like on your skin in this space? And then what's the sound you hear? Turn up the sound like you could turn up the volume on your headphones. Let the sound surround you. And just be very present with it. If you're having having trouble seeing a space, don't overanalyze it. Just go where you want to go. And while you're there, what does this space feel like if you know your identity fear isn't real? You belong here perfectly. You don't have to perform. You're just loved. You have complete peace to tackle any conflict. You have all the strength you need and you don't have to overprotect yourself. Whatever it is, and look for a way that you can give a message to yourself. Do you need to write a word or a phrase in the sand of what this space means to you? Is there a symbol? Are you going to carve a message in a tree? Something to paint? Something to write? Give yourself what you need. Feel what that message feels like. Feel what that message feels like in your body. This is your secure identity. This is your identity space. And you can come here and give yourself what you need any time And even stay there as long as you want. You can hit pause. Do something playful. And then 
we can jump back in. Mm, that was so good. Awesome. That was actually very different than any of the other visualizations that I've done with you. Mm. It was weird. My mind was flashing different scenes because yeah. typically I go straight to the water because yeah. I love the water and I definitely had a water element in there, but it was, I think it was because we were just talking about Instagram, but my yeah. mind was going to different Instagram photos, but then diving into the photo and like mm. going to the actual scene. Mm. It was really cool. That's awesome. Here's the way I've started saying it. Um, and on and a side note real quick, you're awesome. I'm in such a flow state I feel like right now. Um, we just fist bumped. Uh, the 20% of the people that are listening had a harder time activating that uh, imagination. And I know this from like doing this with runes. And what I would normally do in an event is interact with a person that would be brave enough to let me do that. And here's the thing. It's not that they're doing it wrong or they're doing a bad job. It's that um, their analytical powers, abilities are just so developed that they're analyzing one second ahead of really like receiving what's happening in their imagination. And all they've got to do is switch that. Mm. I feel like that's the best way of explaining that, that one second thing. They're one second ahead analyzing. They got to switch that receive before you analyze where your imagination is giving you insight and thoughts and guidance. Um, and there's just so many different voices that say that so many different ways, but that's what blocks that up. And so the way we talk about it, uh, because I think conscious, subconscious, unconscious are, are not as helpful because they mean so many th different things to different people. We say there's an unknown level to you that's coming out in your dreams, coming out in things that you feel that you don't understand. There's a knowable level to you. How can we move the unknown to the knowable? And then there's a known level. This is what's immediately accessible and aware to you. What your imagination does will get you from the unknown to the knowable. So it's giving you that creative insight. It's there. And this is how you really accelerate you tapping into your best creative, imaginative superpowers, right? Um, but learn what that space feels like. Because you know when you're typing at a computer and you're hunched over and you, your body, you go, oh, this is gross. I don't feel good. I correct my posture and I go, ah, oh, I feel so much better. In your identity space, you're learning how to hold that posture, that position of a secure identity where there's no proving or hiding. So then in real life, when your posture gets off, you know what healthy whole feels like because you imagine it and your brain organizes around what you imagine and then you go back to that place. Mm. And that's what the point of that is. So good, so good. This is a perfect time to jump into visualization yeah. and creating goals for yourself, understanding what your desires really are. I'd love to start off by introducing what that looks like for you, what your intention and goal setting process is. Yeah. So for me, it starts first like at the character level. So I am, um, I am doing an exercise with myself, which is kind of a little bit more of an advanced technique from what we just did. We would call it the table exercise. So what would it be like for you to go to that identity space and imagine all the parts of you, your character, that you're most proud of? And so we already did the embarrassed part. We referred to that earlier. Now we're doing the positive part of that, all of those. And then those character parts of you, what do they want to go do in the world? Because everyone has pressure on them. Uh, and I'm going to bring in a little Nietzsche at this point. 
So Nietzsche saw a lot of trouble that society would have uh, occurring because we didn't know how to make meaning for ourselves anymore as our relationship to religion was changing. And so he said millions of people are going to die in world wars, which happened crazy. But he said, we want to help adults develop. We got to understand there's a camel phase, a lion phase, and a child phase. And in a way, we're always going through these. The camel phase is where I believe things and I behave certain ways so I can keep the culture and tradition that I was raised in happy. Then few of us make it to the lion phase where we're willing to have an aggressive rejection type energy. You will not put that on me. Now, to the degree that we've been loaded up as a camel is to the degree how strong our lion phase is. And so this is why, like, um, this is why Angry Kanye playlist exists on Spotify. <laughs> it's the lion phase, right? Um, and then even fewer make it to the child phase. In wonder and awe, we pick up what we want to be about. So most people, if they go through a goal-setting desire, they're going to BS themselves because they're going to set those goals and intentions around the camel, what makes their parents happy. They don't even know that that's what they're doing. What makes the culture and tradition they're a part of, whatever. Even if their parents are cool, it's just you embed this judgment that they've I mean, right now in the kitchen, because I have weird eating habits and my kids are like eating something, they're like, stop judging me. And I'm like, I'm not judging you. You're just comparing yourself in your head to the right. different thing I'm doing. So you've got to understand, am I setting these goals and intentions in a camel phase or is it a lion phase where I'm just trying to prove to them, I'm going to give the finger to the culture and tradition and I'm going to go, no, I'm going to do it my way. Well, even that's tricking yourselves. What's it look like for it to come out of this pure state of, what do I really want to be about? So it starts with character. It continues with being honest about where you are, camel, lion, child, and that. And then it finishes with drilling those goals down to the specific steps you need to take right now. Clarity begets clarity. And if you can just take the next vulnerable step, the next scary step, however small of a step it is, keep doing that when the bigger vision needs to be there it will because we pressure ourselves we're like i should know the big vision no what's the next scary step to take? Mm. whatever that is that's literally my favorite mantra just take the next right step mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so important mm -hmm. my favorite tool that you've introduced to me is a funeral exercise so i would love for you to share with the girls listening what that is and how that can help them with what they want out of life it's awesome yeah Talk about how to tie into everything we were hitting earlier to get your heart and mind around the future. It's a surreal thing to think you get to choose how you're remembered. However you live is how you're going to be remembered. You get to choose how you live, so you get to choose how you're remembered. So as weird as it is to try to get your, your, your arms around this, the way we like to do it, because again, whatever you can imagine, your brain will organize around. So if you imagine you're at the memory board of all the pictures at your funeral, you're like a ghost. You're showing up, people don't know you're there, and you're listening to them talk. And as you listen to them talk, what are they saying about who you are? Now, to activate your brain at the deepest level with this, you're gonna bring a story to bear. So you're gonna see them talking, and you're gonna craft a story, and that story is going to be really who you are and what you want to have happen. So if Chris, if I do this exercise out of an insecure identity, the stories they're going to tell are about performance. 
Chris did this, Chris did that, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to happen. I don't want that to happen. I want it to be about who I was. So for me, like one of the stories I made with my family was that I was present even in the chaos. Because insecure in his identity, Chris, doesn't want to show up unless he's killing me. Well, what's it look like for me to show up when I'm at a loss? So I wrote a story about um, that I would take my kids out of school. They would be looking at the picture talking and go, remember that day? Yeah, that was the day dad took us out of school. We went river canoeing. We thought we were in trouble getting called to the principal's office and come to find out he just wanted to hang out with us. It was such a blast. And we only found out years later that was the day his company died. And so the idea being, I'm going to show up and be present even when there's pain or chaos. And that then activates me and I gravitate towards it. And so when there's pain in my life and I want to not show up, all the more, tell me about your day. How are you doing? Right? Rather than I don't want to show up because I'm not able to be all the things that I want to be. So the idea here is with the funeral story, you're not writing these stories without the awareness of the movie playing in your head, the identity fear. So if your fear is belonging, you're going to write stories that are about how you belonged rather than how you gave belonging. If your identity fear is how if you're vulnerable, you'll be hurt, you're going to write stories about how tough you are rather than how you gave strength to others. So you want to get that identity awareness and then write that story because that story is where you're going to gravitate towards. And this is just a trippy idea that you get to pick how you're remembered. You're gravitating towards whatever is the strongest visual mental image in your brain. And most people don't even know what theirs is. It's buried deep. And if it's going to be related to our identity fear. I'm a performer. I belong. You know, whatever. We want to surface that image and then shape it. And the funeral story shapes it because you get to imagine that and go, all right, now I'm going to gravitate towards that. Mm -hmm. I also like how you talk about creating different buckets. So that story for, you know, for you, you did your daughters, yeah. that story for your wife, that story for your coworkers, that yeah. story for your friend. Yes. Thank you for, because I, yeah, I would have forgot to say that. So we say at least two groups, like family, friends, three coworkers, you know, sometimes a fourth, like, Maybe different organizations you're a part of and serve and people we work with that are on different boards. But you're thinking through these segments and going, how are they going to remember me? I get to pick that. And the wild part is, I know this is true for me and it's been true for people we work with for a number of years. You meditate on these stories. If you write them from the guts of who you are, you'll feel like they've happened because you've thought about it so much. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they will happen. Yeah. Well, and even if they don't, like, so for me, even the story with my girls, we homeschool. So uh, for those listening, we homeschool. I also did not know that. Yeah. What? Yeah. So we don't believe in dinosaurs and we don't want, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> what is this? No. My oldest has dairy and egg anaphylactic allergies. I knew that. Yeah. So when she would have gone into school at five, 11 years ago. School was so dangerous. They didn't have EpiPen awareness and all those kind of things. So for a physical safety thing, because like she can't even really be in a coffee shop. They're steaming milk. I mean, there's only like three restaurants in the city we can eat at because they're 100% vegan. This is a freaking crazy thing. So my wife was like, I want to do this. I'm like, I'm here to support your mission. Let's do it. 
Um, and, and there's things that I have done to support that. So, but she carries the weight of it. She's a warrior. I don't know how she does it. And we just let them do it. You want to do it? We'll do it. And it's pretty dope. They get to have tons of times with their friends outside of school. So they're awesome there, but they get to really like keep their creative interests. You know, they're getting the basic pieces of knowledge, but keep their creative interests engaged. So I'll read their papers. And when I taught at a collegiate level, like my kids, papers were at at least the average level of the college paper I was getting and uh, it's pretty crazy so everybody has different philosophy on that and lots of strong opinions most people agree teachers are awesome but the system is broken Mm -hmm. Uh, and in that broken system yeah we see the we see the fruit of that but the point of that is that funeral story couldn't happen there's no school (laughs) to like right but it feels like it did right because I've thought about it so much right yeah you think about the stories. Do you create a mantra or a word that is associated with the stories? Yeah, great. So I was sharing mine, present in the pain, present in the chaos, present in the pain. Mm-hmm. So if you can shrink them down to that word or that phrase, then it's more likely to wake you up and be a trigger in the moment. So I can remember so many times when like one of my daughters uh, was upset about something. Since we're using the daughter story. Uh, and like I'm like, present in the pain, present in the pain. Um, for our story, for our company, the, the clients we serve that end up becoming friends, the story is around the idea of generosity, like how we can overgive. And, um, and, you know, just yesterday had an exchange with somebody where they were so thankful for the generosity and they were multiplying something back to us. And, I'll, you know, I was faced a little test this morning. I was like, I can be selfish here or generous. I wanted to be selfish. And I was like, nope, this is the story. Right. And I'm like, I'm having that awareness as I talk about it. I, I'm kind of shocked a little bit because it was at a cafe and we had this little deal and this exchange and, I, and it just happened. And I was like, this is a hard decision. I want to be selfish, but let me do it. And it's the funeral story. Mm-hmm. Dang, you're coaching me, Elizabeth. Woo! This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you still do your daily visualization? I do. So for me, I do it in the sauna. 90% of the time is where I do it. Uh, if uh, there's travel, I'm finding a way to do it, you know, in whatever a part of my routine is that day, wherever I am. Um, you know, I would say about 80% of the time. I mean, there are days where uh, I might not practice it, but yeah, about 80% of the time. And I'm addicted to it. Mm-hmm. I'm addicted to the creative energy it gives me. I'm addicted to the comfort it gives me. I mean, today, right now, and mine's developed. I've been practicing that for 10 years. Right now, I'm in this, like, it's surrounded by, like, these Swedish mountains. I think this is the first time I've shared this publicly because it's pretty fresh. And I'm laying back on this hill, and there's a lot to it, but it in the hill, it's carved, not here to perform, here to be loved. Mm. And that's that space for me, right? And um, I'm loving it. How long do you meditate on that? Uh, sometimes two or three minutes, sometimes 15 or 20. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the average, mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. Okay. Do you do an annual annual review, and what does that look like for yourself? Yeah, I um, yeah, I mean, I do in the sense that I'm always kind of saying, what's the master list? So I have this document called the master list, and I'll dump ideas on that, so I'm not distracted and working on things that aren't what I want to be working on or need to be working on, but at least I'm capturing it. So for me, around November, it's on my task list, recurs every year. 
uh, I go through that list and I go, okay, what have I done? What have I not done? You know, and then what do I want to get done as I think about this next year? Um, I hold it loose though, and this is a, a business concept that I find very powerful. I am, I am looking three to five years out. I am 40 years out and I'm sprinting in the quarters. And the quarters, quarter to quarter can change. Three to five year can change, but the 40 year is a lot more like out there and this is the thing that I'm headed towards. Um, that's not right for everybody. I mean, that takes time to get to that kind of clarity. Mm-hmm. And so don't force it. When in doubt, take the next right step. So what does that look like for you? You sprint and then do you have a period of rest? Yes. So it's it's like right now, that thing that I was telling you about the campfire and the way that you remember chats we've had about that. That was so cool. <laughs> meaningful. Awesome. Uh, the campfire, That's I've been doing it, but I hadn't put it as a part of our process. So I'm sprinting right now on getting that built. And for me, sprinting, it doesn't mean like I'm not going home. I mean, I'm still going home at the same time. I'm still having pockets of rest. I still have a calendar that's mostly predetermined uh, pretty far in advance with buckets. Um, And then I can react accordingly as I need to. But in the time that I'm dedicating to it, I'm like, I'm burning that down. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, uh, we're taking all of that and getting it into a process where it's like a 42 page workbook or whatever. It's super thorough and in depth. Well, building that, I was like a mad scientist, right? Papers are all over and, you know, and, and just sprinting towards that. So after we get it built officially, because again, like I said, we've been doing it behind the scenes and we do a little launch with it, then there will be a little bit of a, okay, contraction. Take a breath and what's the next thing? Mm-hmm. For me, if I am... You know, I want to help everybody that wants to get to a place that there's an unobstructed expression to who they are. That's going to look like, different for all of us, but periods of rest and going, rest and going. Mm -hmm. And you just got to figure out your rhythms. I love the idea of a master list. And I remember, I think it was literally within the fifth week of coaching with you, I wrote down all of my desires. Mm -hmm. And then... I redid the figure that shift out with you three years later. And I remember I went back to the desires and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just started crossing all these things off. I'm like, I've achieved all of my desires from three years ago. And I didn't even, I never went back to that list, right? But it's crazy when you really think about what you want, it does go into your subconscious. And it's amazing that I was able to achieve so many of those desires. That fires me up. When you surface vision and then you purify that vision so there's no camel or lion to it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's true to who you are. There's nothing that has stronger gravitational pull in your life. It'll happen. You can't help it. Um, And that's awesome. It was wild. It's really easy to get caught up in what's next. What area of my life can I improve upon? And I feel like we're both definitely like this because we're Mm -hmm. so wired into truly loving self-growth. I'm obsessed with it. (laughs) But I really want to celebrate more of how I've improved and just be able to have that relaxation time. What advice would you give for really feeling deep within yourself 
all of the progress that you've made and not always thinking about what's next, even if you're super excited on it. Awesome. Yeah. The key is for me, like be where you are. Mm -hmm. And so you referenced this at the beginning, but the stuck book, like when you're in a summer season, there's a practice of enjoying it. So for me, uh, I do ramp down some when uh, we're in a place that if if I'm not burning, like I got to go do this, I got to go make this, then I'm not going to force that. And I'm not going to anxiously search for it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hold space that is restful but vigilant. So I'm going to enjoy where I'm at, but my eyes are open for what's going to capture me. Um, and so sometimes that may literally look like running a little bit different schedule in the summer. Uh, so the practical part of this is for me, when I'm in that space, I let myself sleep in more. I'm not like, I got to be at the gym, you know, where I am right now, I am naturally, no kidding, waking up anywhere from like four to five thirty. like, let's go. I'm not even <laughs> having to, uh, like, okay, Chris, get up. You know, and it's not like an anxious, I got to go. It is, oh, yes, let's go. That will change. I know it will because I've paid attention to this. And and whenever that changes and maybe campfire is, is out there publicly and I'm not just doing it behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff, I will probably sleep in for a while. You know what I mean? It's going to be like waking up at 7 and uh, lounging around a little bit more on the weekends. Right now I'm in a place where on Sunday morning I'm doing about four or five hours of work and uh, you know the family doesn't know much different, but I'm loving that. That won't stay the same either, and I know that. Um, so, so the practical part of that would be sleeping, letting yourself get the sleep that you need, uh, and then not forcing, anxiously searching for that next thing. Mm-hmm. Let it arrive. Working with the seasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's dive into the stuff book a little tiny bit. I really want to know for the people who are listening, who is this book for? Just a little background on why you wrote the book. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, who is the book for and the background on writing it? The, I did try to write it for two audiences so that it would be a simple bite into Sight Shift. Or for people that have been through it, it would be a deep bite of, oh, the, he sang so many things that I didn't even realize before. Um, I just heard from a business owner a week and a half ago that went through the coaching and then read the stuck book. And I was so moved by this. It feels weird to share it, but he was like, Chris, I was crying. Like mm-hmm. I saw the depth of what you were saying. Um, and all I'm offering in that, and this would be who it's for, is for somebody who wants to figure out where they are. So like figure that shift out is who you are. The stuck book is where are you? I mean, those are the two big questions. Who am I and where am I? Because if you know where you are, then you can orient to get where you want to go. Too many people want to get somewhere, but they don't know where they're starting from. And so I just am offering a model there where people can figure out what's going on in the moment. And I think it was our friend David that suggested you should put in the back of the book like the different season that people mm, are I in and then the actions that they can just quick turn to that. And I was like, dude, that's amazing. And then he goes, you could even put in the subtitle, like just pick this up when you don't know what to do next, which we just did that. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, it's for anybody that wants to get a sense of where they are. 
Mm. and what to do next. It seems so silly to jump into leadership questions and we talk so much on identity and what really matters, but I really want to hit a couple questions on leadership. Really focusing on traits and skills, what leadership trait or skill do you think is the hardest to learn and why? To not over-identify with your leadership style. Um, so we, because everything for me is about leadership. So we cover this and figure that shift out. And what most people are doing when they over-identify with a leadership style is they are doing one of three things with space. They are filling space with direction and energy, like a, a natural leader. They are meeting space, an empath. I'm so sorry. Yes, I hear what you're saying or a sage, they're creating space. So like right now in this podcast, I'm, I'm doing a lot of filling space, direction and energy. You're saging, you're creating space and asking questions. And I hope whatever your tech systems are, there's totally backed up because I think I'll even post this on our website permanently because uh, you're saging it up so great. But what happens for leaders, you know, people, is they over-identify with one of these ways of being. And an age doesn't matter. I mean, we work with enough people at different ages, different stages, that it's just, it's just typically whatever they've been through and whatever they saw modeled. And so if they can understand, my natural impulse is to give energy and direction. Under stress, don't give energy and direction. That's not the approach that's needed. The approach that's needed is whatever you're weakest in. So if you're weakest in being a sage, learn to flip questions back. When people come to you on the team, they're like, Blah, 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 blah. And so here's the problem. Tell me what to do. What do you think you should do, right? Uh, you learn to flip that question back. We just watched the Parks and Rec episode where Ron Swanson has to testify through some council. And he just, he never answered every question. He just did a question. So it was a funny example of the sage. Mm -hmm. And if you're an empath, if you're very present and you know how to meet space, You've got to learn under stress. That's not what's needed. People need your direction. They need your energy or they need your sage. Whichever one is your weakest, that's the one you want to access the most. Mm -hmm. You have a pod podcast on that, right? Yeah. Well, there's like a 40 minutes of it in the Figure That Leadership Out course. Uh, there's a little bit of it in the Figure That Shift Out book in that course. But if somebody really wants to like immediately grow so much as a leader, Practice doing in the mirror whatever is unnatural to you in those roles. Mm. So practice asking questions in the mirror. Because it's you've got to get to the point that you don't feel awkward doing that. And it's going to feel awkward. Right. That's where growth occurs, right. where you're feeling uncomfortable. Mm. What's the easiest leadership trait to learn that people aren't prioritizing? Bring energy. Mm. Bring energy. That's like leadership 101, step one, bring energy. Somebody gives you direction, receive it enthusiastically. Okay, thank you. Don't let your body, don't let your face, don't let your voice communicate anything other than I'm excited. That sounds trite and trivial. That is so accurate. People skip over it all the time. Yeah. All the time. I mean, I see people do this in meetings and I'm like, you're a grown human being being paid a ton of money. Give some energy. Mm. And, and they're trying to prove or hide something when they don't. Or... They're being self-sabotaged by stressful circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really crave peer accountability. So I would love to hear advice from you. 
how can we work in maybe groups of three or four with people our age on all of this stuff that we talked about? Ooh, so that for me is like the most beautiful way I can say the world has changed. We call them micro apprenticeships. Let's take each other through it, that pure accountability. So what we see people do that gets the biggest return for what we can help them with is get the figure that shift out book and go through it with a group of people. Hold each other accountable to go through the exercises. The book teaches the content. The academy course does a way better job at teaching the exercises. Um, and look, because I know the owner and the founder, I won't tell if they buy the course and just do it together as a group. <laughs> like for the people that are listening to this, and I mean that, I'm happy for them to do that. Share it around. But uh, go through that because the accountability of, okay, let's get together and talk about this. When I've gotten together and when it's a designed resource that takes you on a journey and have done it with others, mm -hmm. it can't help but change you. You will never fully become the best version of who you are and I don't mean best like you've got to improve to be loved. I mean the most unblocked version of who you are without safe friends that you cultivate that are, uh, that are redemptive for you. You can tell them anything. They will not high-five your dysfunction, nor will they shame you to change. And, and if you can create a shared language around that you can't help but grow mm. and so one of the things we do is we see people take on that language and they'll come and they'll be like well i was really proving like i was hiding or yeah what does that next level look like after they do that uh it's to the deepest way it happens get a shared mission where real results are on the line and you've got to deliver to eat to say face publicly, whatever it is. The deepest, most transforming relational bonds come out of a shared mission. The healthiest relational bonds come out of a shared mission when there's a secure identity. So ask people to join you in something. Get a vision. Hey, it doesn't matter how small it is. I want to start a book study group, you know, on campus. I want to go affect change for this cause. You know, shrink it down small at first. It doesn't have to be huge. But just by you showing up to do that, I mean, I was leading something in college where we were getting together and studying some, some improvement, basically. Um, it felt uh, very small to me at the time. Like, I had friends that were doing big things. Doing that small thing like that, we formed super tight relationships, and I built skills like crazy. Mm. But there has to be something where it's like you're really going... I, I want to attempt this and it'll look bad if I don't. Again, it doesn't have to be huge. Uh, you know, or I, if, if I don't make from this, I'm going to lose money. You know, whatever. Something where there's some results. Because if you've got results that you're tied to, you're more likely to grow exponentially. Mm -hmm. Couple more questions. I'd love to hear one more tool for women between ages 20 to 25 that you think that they should start implementing in their life right now. A tool for 20 to 25 start implementing right now. And I'm going to think through this in the filter of ultimate skin in the game, my own daughters, as 16, 14, 13, getting close to that space. What do I anticipate for them? Build 
and this is like the most important thing build something or be a part of something that allows you to be rewarded for skills where you're ahead of the people around you not in an insecure way like I have to be better than people but what I mean is from where I sit in the companies we work with there is a coming workforce disruption where most of middle-class work uh, is going to be completely reinvented you know so many different industries um, that's not doomsday-ish society will organize around it but there are people that need to be led and people that can lead and from our vantage point what we see the people that can lead ultimately they're the most fulfilled because they can lead their lives but they have to be the least reactive to those coming disruptions in the workforce so things are going to change and so how can they at 20 to 25 do something that's giving them skills to be a part of a visionary independent group or to build their own. Most people aren't going to build their own. They're not wired up to do that, nor should they feel pressure to, but they can link up with one. Um, and so there are a lot of people that are listening to this that are probably thinking, hey, I want to do something safe and be uh, you know, a support role in some kind of industry. And, and a lot of those support roles are going to be displaced. You know, Three pieces of advice for someone who wants to start a career in coaching. Mm. Learn this, number one, outcome, skill, exercise. What's the outcome you want to get people to? And it's whichever one you're most passionate about. Um, the one you're passionate about is the one you can take people to because you learn the contours of that journey. Um, I mean, you can look at Jim Collins, good to great. What are you passionate about? What can you be the best in the world at? What drives your resource engine? The overlapping of those three circles, he calls it the hedgehog concept. Uh, but so there's got to be a passion that you want to get them to an outcome. Now, what's the skill exercise part? What are the skills you help them build? And what are the exercises that they do to learn that skill? Poor level coaching is like, well, what do you want? Now help you get it. High level coaching, this is the thing that I'm an expert in. If you want that, here's what it looks like outcome wise. I'll teach you the skills to get there by facilitating the exercises you'll wrestle with. They have to do some work to get there. The second would be follow their interest and their curiosity like crazy. Rapidly feed that hunger. I mean, you know, there is a food more important than food. And I'm a total foodie <laughs> and love all the flavors. But it's when you feed that hunger. And the third, and this is going to be the key piece to getting action to it, have the courage to ask people to work with you. I mean, the first time I did a site ship retreat, I like begged people to come. It was totally free and it was terrible. Where I start with people now is where I ended it. But that's how I got started. And so they got to start somewhere. Next right step. Mm. Last question. What does being hashtag in charge mean to you? Mm. That I am not reacting to the culture or tradition around me in a way that I've got to live like they say. I am not over aggressively with lion energy trying to prove you don't tell me who I am but as a child in wonder and awe, picking up and living out what is there for me. And that makes me think of one of my favorite quotes, Charles Baudelaire, French poet. I'm messing this up a little bit, but this is the heart of it. Genius is recovering the childhood at will with the skill of adulthood. And we have an epidemic of people right now afraid of adulthood. 
because they think adulthood disempowers them. No, it, it frees you. I'm free. I'm free to go chase the child in me. Um, and, and the last few years, I feel like I've lived at that at a 97% level of expression. I feel like because I broke through to another level of vision, I'm at 3% of expressing that. So now I have another whole 97% to fill and I'm in charge to go do it. Mm. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. This was amazing. I'm going to freaking get it transcribed <laughs> and share it everywhere I can. You pulled it out. Sage oh, me up. Where can girls learn more about you? The easiest starting place would be siteshift.com, S-H-E-H-T, shift.com. Um, and then social media that they would be most on would be probably at Chris McAllister, which one of each letter in the last name. Mm. And if they reach out and tell me they heard on this podcast, I don't always follow back, you know, and I'm actually kind of suck at keeping up with it. <laughs> but if they'll tell me that, I'll interact and be helpful any way I can be. Mm, amazing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. I will link up all of Chris's books and resources and podcasts. I still remember three years ago, listening to all of his podcasts, literally like at the same time, I just couldn't get enough of them. Mm. So I really encourage you guys to listen to that. I will see you guys next week. Bye.